So good to be here with you today. Um, my hope and my desire for you is uh, just really that you're, you're kind of been woken up by the songs that we've sung, and, and they're kind of perfect uh, kind of segues into where we're actually going to be for the next 10 weeks. Somebody say, that's a long time. Nobody over here cares, just y'all. I'm just going to preach to you guys today. Um, so we're going to be there for a long time with the help of them, not you. And, uh, so, and, and the reason why we're actually going to be spending 10 weeks on the Greater Than series is because you need it. That's why. You may say, well, why are we? It's because you need every single moment, every word. You need every bit that you're going to actually be receiving over the next 10 weeks because we are in the midst of, of a struggle and a battle that we are powerless ourselves to win. We are, and it really, that's really the big idea for this whole series is for us and say, well, what does greater than mean? It means that, that there, there are things that we can do so we can, we're going to engage spiritually so we can live victoriously. So we're going to engage spiritually, say, okay, well, what does that mean? That you're going to see what this means. And actually the, the reading just a moment ago spoke into this from Ephesians six ten through 18 is that all of us are in the middle of a war. We're in the middle of a battle right now. Make no mistake. And yet all of us are, are, are kind of tempted to kind of believe some things about this war and maybe even minimize where we are in this story. Now, a couple weeks ago, uh, Marla and, and G and I, we were at Kroger. And I just, ladies, I just want you to know what goes on in the mind of some men. We're at Kroger, and it was like, maybe this happens to you too. It's like you go to Kroger, and you go to Kroger for, for one thing, and you come out with 10 bags. It was kind of one of those things. I need some milk. And then all of a sudden you start on the wrong side and you're like, before long, you're like, I should have just got a cart because you're trying to do all of this. Or, or maybe for you, you just totally give way to that and you just say, to heck with that, I'm going to go get a cart. And, and you're sick of carrying it. So it was kind of one of those things where we're just going to go, oh, we'll just pick up a few things, but a few things turns into 10 bags or whatever. It was like a bunch of bags. So we, we go to check out and, and I'm sitting there and this is, this is how a guy thinks. Just so you know, ladies, just so you know how a guy thinks. I look looked at those bags and there was something internal to me that was saying, I just need to pick all those bags up. Now there were a lot of bags. It was like, I would have had to have like a bag on every finger kind of bag day at Kroger. So I'm looking at these, these bags and there was something internal to me. It was a voice telling me, just get these bags. It was almost as if I had something to prove, but because I didn't realize that at the time I sat there and I was like, I, I literally went to grab those bags and, and it kind of dawned on me, it's like something is telling me, you have, to, you have to prove that you can get these bags. And there was also something that was telling me, you know what, you're strong enough to get these bags. Just do it yourself. Just do it yourself. So I literally went and it's like, I know you probably think I'm like mental right now and I maybe am, I don't know. But I, I literally, I went to grab those bags and I was like, to heck with it, I'm not getting those bags. I grabbed a couple and I was like, you guys get the rest of them. Like I didn't even give way to it, but this was in my head at this time. I'm thinking I, there was just something that was telling me I have to prove something, I have to do something, no matter what, I could handle it myself. So I needed to do it myself and I didn't need anyone else. And, and yet, I think in some other aspects of life, we also have these things happen. And for men, you know that to be true. During the 915, I was going to have them raise their hand and their eyes got that big. I was like, never mind, keep your hands down. You're not going to raise them anyway. 
Like there's something internal to men, and maybe for ladies, you feel the same way. There's something there that's saying, I have to prove something. I have to do something. I have to show something. I mean, we even do this as kids. We even do this when, when we're little kids, and we have this, this voice that says, I can do it. I can handle it. It's no big deal. I don't need anyone's help. Like even when we're kids and we're in school, and, and you talk to all your friends, and they're like, oh, yeah, we got this test going on. Did you study? No. Are you going to study? No. And yet you go into the test and you don't study. And yet you get in there and look at the test. I'm like, I don't even think this is the right class. I just don't get it. Like I should have studied. And yet there was something internal to you that says, I got this. Just choose to do it your way. You can handle this. And as soon as your eyes looked at that page, you're like, okay, yeah, I I bet my friends, they said they weren't studying, but I guarantee you they did. They were lying to me. And I just started to believe it. And I thought, you know what? I can handle this all by myself. There's so many areas of life this is true. You see, enough talking about kids' stuff or my stuff. Now we're going to talk about your stuff. You see, in so many areas of our life, we we think we have big enough hands or strong enough hands that we can handle all of life's issues. Some of you, and my heart is heavy to tell you this, but some of you are in the middle of the greatest family struggle you've ever been in. And you're still convinced that you can do it yourself. That you can handle it that your arms are strong enough, your arms are long enough that you can muscle your way through it. And I just want to tell you right now, before the consequences hit, you can't. It's so much bigger than you. So much bigger than you. And yet we can believe this even in our marriage and say, you know what? I can do this myself. It's no big deal. I've been married for three years. And yet you are in the middle of something like you think, oh, I can just figure this out myself. I can do this myself. And yet people tell you, hey, you need to go talk to someone. You need to go get some help. You need to go see a counselor. Well, I'm not going to do that. I can handle this all by myself. I can just grab all those 10 bags myself. I can do this all by myself. I don't need anyone else. It's not a good road to go down because I'm, I'm on the other side of that. I'm on the other side of, I could do it myself. I could handle it myself. And then I get a text, a phone call, a message, and says, hey, can we talk? And there's always tears. There's always regret. It's because people were convinced that they could handle it themselves. My hope for you, at the end of of, of this message particularly, really this whole series, but the end of today, is to see that you were never meant to do it yourself. That God is greater than every issue that you have. God is greater than any enemy that, that opposes you. God is greater than any system that opposes you. And God is greater than that little voice that says you have to perform. God is greater. That's a good place for an amen. Can I get it? Thank you. The God is greater. But we can make ourselves believe that all that, that that things are not as bad as what they seem. And at the same time, we can make ourselves believe that we can handle life ourselves. We can say, you know what, I've got it. It's no big deal. It's just, it's just my marriage. We're going through a little rough spot. It's just my kids. Eventually things will get ironed out. I don't need to get anyone's help. I can, just, I can just do this myself. It's no big deal. And we have to be so careful. The reason why we need to pay so much attention to these 10 weeks is because we can make ourselves believe that things are not as bad as what they seem. And at the same time, we can start to believe that we can handle life ourselves, And that leads to a life of regret. So my advice for you, before we open up 
the Bible is, is this, and really if there was anything that you could get from this message, it's this next phrase. Things are worse than they appear. Things are worse than they appear. Things are worse than they appear. There's so much more that's going on around you. There's so much more that is, is working against your marriage. There's so much more that's going on that's, that's opposing your, your friendships. There's so much more that's going on when you have a disagreement at home with your husband or your wife. There's so much more that's going on when, when your kid just doesn't get it and you're tempted as a parent to say, you know what, you made your bed you can go lay in it. There is so much more that's going on. There's so much more that's going on when you are so convinced that you can handle all of the, the desires and the intimate desires that you have to be with someone else and you think, I can handle it, I can handle it, I can handle it, and yet the, the, the road to regret is paved with good intentions. Things are worse than they appear. I would like for us to say this together as if we believe it, even if we don't believe it. This is the bottom line for this talk. It's this. This will be on the screen. We need to understand our spiritual position before we can utilize God's spiritual power. I said it too fast, but we're going to say it together now. We need to understand our spiritual position before we can utilize God's spiritual power. If there was one thing I would want you to grasp, one thing I would want you to press into, one thing I would want you to start to believe and push back all of your doubts, if there's one thing, it is that simple truth. And it is this simple truth, actually, that we're going to land on, and we're going to actually speak into this for the next 10 weeks. If you have a Bible, I would just invite you to open it up to Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Literally, uh, I have a, a few different passages. I don't know if I'm going to get to all of them, um, but I, I have a few passages that we most likely will look at. They're all in Ephesians. Somebody should be happy about that, um, that we're not going to be all over and you're not going to have to kind of bluff your way of finding, where is Haggai? I don't even know if that's in the Bible. Is that even American? No, it's not. Like we're, we're going to be in Ephesians. We're going to make it easy for you. Um, and actually, I want to kind of give you just brief, briefly the context of where we're going to be in verse 10 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. Ephesians has six chapters. Originally, when the Bible was written, it didn't have chapters. It was added later for kind of convenience and to keep things in order. But one of the things that you see in, in Ephesians particularly is really the first three chapters as what we have in our Bible, they really speak into our identity in Christ. So it's, it's just rich in, in identity pieces. It's rich in, in who it is that God says that we are, um, that, that a follower of Christ is, is from like Ephesians 2.10. It says that we are God's masterpiece, his workmanship created in him to do good works. So many good things, so, so many just gold nuggets of truth in this that we can continue to mine out. Um, but, but I won't for the sake of time. But Ephesians 1 through 3 really speaks into identity. And right before we get into Ephesians 6, I think it is the, the centerpiece of what relationships should look like in the family, right uh, at the end of Ephesians 5. So uh, as, as a husband says, well, what, what, should, what kind of husband should I be? What does that, that mean for me? What, 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 how am I supposed to regard my wife? It's there. Wives, well, how, how am I supposed to regard my husbands? It's there. Kids, what am I supposed to do? It's there. Parents, what am I supposed to do? It's there. It's so rich. So, so he gets at the end of, of all of that. And then verse 10, it starts with finally. I, I look at this and I bet he's like, finally. He's like, man, I've told you guys all of this. 
Finally, take a deep breath. But I think really what he gets into here is the very thing that holds the rest of, the, of his writings together. He gets into something here that, that really becomes so foundational to be able to, to understand and live out what he talks about throughout this letter. And this is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He says, finally, I've told you all these things, how, husbands, how to love your wives well, wives, how to love your husbands well. I've told you all of that. I've told you kids, you know, you shouldn't be crazy. You should listen to your parents. And I'll say it again. Kids, you should listen to your parents. Parents, should I say it one more time? Kids, you should listen to your parents. You know, it's like all of these things. It's like he goes through all of this and he says, finally, he says, finally. He says, if you have to get this right. Because if you don't get this right, nothing else will matter. He says, be strong in the Lord. And literally when it says, be strong, this can really speak into, into your walk with God, if you even have one at all. Because be strong is, is a continual work of God. It, it means more so to be strengthened, which means a continual work to, to continue to be strengthened, going back to the source of our strength, to be strong in the Lord. I think of how, how good the gospel is, and I think how, how cruel it would be if this verse wasn't here in verses like this. If, if this wasn't here, it would say something like, be strong in yourself. Toughen up. You can do it. You've got an education. You've got money in the bank. You've got a last name in this town. Be strong in yourself. But think how cruel that would be. You see, the gospel would be no gospel at all. That would be cruel to you because if those things were enough to save us, if those things were enough to strengthen us, we would be in no need of God at all, would we? But the gospel is not cruel. It says to be strengthened in the Lord. To be strengthened in the Lord. You see, who you're connected to tells of what you're capable of. Who you are connected to tells of what you're capable of. Be strong in the Lord. And you say, well, well, pastor, how can I be strong in the Lord? Actually, the whole How to Eat an Elephant series, those were all week by week ways of spiritual formation to make you strong in the Lord. So if you missed any of those or all of those, you probably want to go back and check those out online um, through a podcast or through the website. These are ways to be strong in the Lord. The reason why I, I, that, that the message came across to you about silence and solitude is because when you detach from, from the world or worldly things and you detach from things and you kind of connect to God, then you find strength. The reason why there was a message on simplicity of saying, be careful of how, how, how your, your, your likes become loves and then your forms of worship because when you do that, you start loving things instead of the creator, God. And when you start loving things, your strength will be zapped. That's the reason why we talked about that. That's the reason why we talked about, we talked about confession and what role does confession have even in a believer's life? And that was kind of an awkward talk to give because I myself had never even heard a message on it. And yet it's in the word of God, so you have to talk about it. But even how confession, it kind of, it just takes the, the pressure relief valve just opens it up and saying, oh, I, I can be strong in the Lord now because I'm not trying to puff myself up. 
You see, if we're strong in the Lord, what we see is we'll see a life that looks like what is written in Ephesians 4.31. And it says in Ephesians 4.31 that the Apostle Paul wrote in there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to get rid of all bitterness. You see, if we're strong in ourselves, we're going to be bitter when we think somebody else has a better life than us. We're going to be envious of their life. We're going to be bitter of them. If we're strong in ourselves and only ourselves, then automatically everybody else is actually working against us. If they have more things than us, if they have more strength than us, if they have a better family than us, a better marriage than us, because we will continually strive for, if the strength is in ourselves, is to say, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. And when you see us operating, and some of you need to hear this right now, when you're operating under your own strength, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a bitterness in your heart towards somebody or something. You're going to find anger. And sometimes you have no idea where that anger comes from. You're going to talk bad about people. You're going to slander people. You're going to accuse people. It's just what's going to happen. You're going to wish ill upon people. Because you're operating under your own strength. But we're to be strong in the Lord. To be strong or to be strengthened in the Lord. We could also get confused on some things. This is P90X. That's what this is. All these videos. Anybody uh, free this afternoon? We'll start with these today. Um, You in? All right. Good. Um, I'm going to hold you to that. Now, I think um, that, and I believe really, if I were to take you on about a 12-week workout regimen with a few diet changes, I'm convinced that if I took you through P90X, that that you would find parts of your body that you don't even know exist. You only remember them by by science class in junior high. You're going to find abs, and you're like, I actually have a couple of those. I I, I believe that, that if I were to just take about 12 weeks and go through this bit by bit that, that I, could, I could help you. You could tone yourself. You could be ripped. You could be chiseled. You could be whatever metaphor you want to use. I am positive this could happen. And when it comes to physical fitness, this is, this is true. That we can kind of take this and we can, we can take these kind of elements and physically we can do this. If we commit to it, we try hard enough, we can make this happen in our, in, of ourselves. And I even believe this of you, do not giggle, right? I believe this of you. Like this, this works. But yet when it comes to spiritual things, we try and bring this reality. Well, if I try hard enough, I should be able to fix myself. If I try hard enough, then, then my life should be okay. Then I can engage in battle if I just try hard enough. But when it comes to physical fitness, overlaying that with spiritual awareness or spiritual growth, those are not the same things. Because it's not a matter of being strong in yourself. Because what you're connected to tells of what you're capable of. You see, if people could strengthen themselves spiritually and it was just about them, of course we wouldn't need Jesus. Here's some other things that would happen. Give you this illustration of this lamp. 
These are the things that we tell ourselves, by the way, when we're in the middle of a, of, a, of a difficult conversation and when we're operating under our own strength. These are the things that we tell ourselves. So I just want you to know where this is coming from. When you hear these words, I, w- I want you to know that you're operating under your own strength. Use this lamp. Words that a lamp would say to itself. This is where it's going to get awkward. Lamps don't talk. I don't know if you knew that or not. Lamp would say to itself, just turn yourself on already. Look at all the other lamps. They're on, except those, but they need a bulb, but they'll be fine. Just turn yourself on. I mean, you know how to connect yourself. It's, it's right here. Just turn yourself on. That's all you have to do. I mean, look at you. You were made to be, you were made to be such a good lamp. I mean, look at you. But yet the, the words that we would hear is this. You're a no good lamp. You are good for nothing. You need to try a little bit harder next time. Look at everybody else. They're doing so much better than you. Just try a little harder. Are you even a lamp at all? You see, the kind of words that we hear is just work a little harder. You don't need other people. All you need is yourself. You can handle it. Don't go see that counselor. Don't go talk to that pastor. Don't even go talk to a friend. You can handle this. After all, if you told anyone of your greatest, deepest, darkest secret, if that was out, then everybody would just look at you and they would cast you out of the group. See, all of these things are words that we would hear when we're operating under our own strength. We're trying to compare ourselves to someone else. And then the last, and I think the most damning thing that, that we would hear over ourselves is you're not even a Christian at all. Because Christians are strong. Remember Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, Satan knows the Bible too. And when you hear those things, Those could be the most merciful things. Listen to me, please. Those could be some of the most merciful things that God lets through to you. And I say that not to scare you, but maybe the reason why God is allowing those things to be said to you is just a merciful reminder that you're operating under your own strength and you're in over your head. See, a lamp can't just turn itself on. It's absolutely worthless. I mean, it looks kind of good, but it's a lamp. This... To be useful, of course, needs to be connected. For us, to be useful, to, to, to do the things that we're supposed to be strong in, I think one of the things that, that we're supposed to be strong in is service. There was a great outpouring of this yesterday. We had the opportunity, uh, several students, uh, one of our deacons, and a bunch of adults, we went out, and, and we just... It just served other people who, who needed the help. And we cut down trees and lanches and, brims, and limbs. I just made up a word, limbs and all that. And we took it to the dump. It was awesome. And, and what it was, I heard everybody say it was just like, it was so good and so peaceful. And I believe it was because there was just like this overflowing of what God is doing amongst these people because none of them just felt guilty to be there. They were just there because they wanted to be there. And it was just an overflowing of what God is doing in their life, even in the students' lives. Amen. That God works in students, God works in kids. And, 
and overflowing all of that. And now I think back to, you know what? I bet the reason why is because they were connected to the source of their strength. They weren't just bluffing it. They were there and everybody said, oh, this is just awesome. You see, we're supposed to be strong in service. I also believe that we're supposed to be strong to suffer well for the gospel. And and if I'm really honest with you, this is something people do not know how to do in this country. Even Christians don't know how to suffer well. It's unmistakable. If you look throughout the New Testament and the things that the Apostle Paul wrote, his life, if you look at the Apostles' lives, you look at Jesus' life, it was just full of suffering. But all of that suffering was then leveraged for the kingdom of God to give God the glory. And we as Christians, if we're strong in the Lord, we can suffer well that the watching world would look at us and they would say, I don't know what is going on with them. I don't, know, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know anything about their life. But what I do know is there seems to be a peace in the middle of, of the worst thing that's ever happened to them. How could they do that? It's because they found strength in the Lord. That's how. And also... Spiritual battle. We, we need to be strong in the Lord. And what we're going to hear for the next coming weeks is to be strong in the Lord to engage in the spiritual battle. Because the reality is this. We're in the middle of a battle. And, and in this battle, there is, either, uh, there is either light or there's darkness. That's it. There's no middle ground. There's no, well, I think I'm just going to ride the fence for a little while. I'm going to do my own thing. No, no, no. The lines have already been drawn spiritually. You can look it up yourself. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. You're going to have a great time with this community in community groups this week. Because the lines have already been drawn of light and darkness. And you can tell, even in your own life, of the strength that you're operating under. But all of us are engaging in the middle of a spiritual battle and either we are in the side of light or in the side of darkness. There is no in between. There is no, well, I'm just backslidden for a little while. No, no, no. You're either in light or darkness, cut and dry, point blank. There is no fence. There's a battleground. One of the things that I think is, is really funny, certain things amuse me and this, this amuses me and maybe it amuses you. I look at the playgrounds that that exist today and parks and all this and like there's so much care that's taken into all these playgrounds and they shred up tires and there's literally like there's like rules, laws, I don't know. There's like you have to have so many like inches of tires underneath the playground. Like if if Billy's up there on the swing and he jumps off. He has to be able to land on like a, you know, this billowy cushion of, of tire. You know what I mean? It's all that. And, I, and, I, and that's fine. I mean, we can agree to disagree and all that. But I think back the way it was when I was a kid. And everything was made out of metal when I was a kid. All the playgrounds, um, the, they didn't care. They put, they put the playgrounds over asphalt and concrete. So if you're up doing the monkey bars and you're up eight feet and you got little Billy who's three foot tall and he's like, he's doing nothing but like sheer death and like, like he's, he's going and if he got wore out, you better brace yourself for impact because when you hit the ground, it's probably going to hurt, right? And like this is the way it was. And like the playgrounds today are such a contrast. I even think back to, I think it, this to me, and we could agree to disagree, but I, the, the best thing growing up as a kid was the merry-go-round. Now just... 
I mean, I think the merry-go-round is great. I mean, you didn't really want to be on the merry-go-round because the point of the merry-go-round, the, uh, the point of the merry-go-round, I'm convinced, is to actually throw you off of it. So it's the only thing that's created to actually hurt children, maybe. I'm not sure. But like, I, I always wanted to be one of the ones running, therefore not to be chucked off, but to control uh, of how far I could throw the other kids off. So, but that was always great as long as you're fast. But if you're not fast... Or if you get tripped up or you do one of these numbers and you hold on to that, you're going to get drugged for about three times around. And you know what I'm talking about. I look at, I can see your faces like, you know, exactly. And like, and that's just how it was. It's like, and you did not want to be that person. And yet I think about that and I think it was so much metal and going around and like the point of it was just to throw kids off. And of course, like you're thinking, my pastor doesn't like children. He wants to hurt them. I don't want to. All I'm telling you is that playground didn't hurt me at all. I'm just fine. And you are too. It's no big deal. Okay. But one of the things that we do is we take different aspects of our life and how we want to care for our kids. And we can't let our kids go outside and play and don't go in the dirt or don't go play on the playground. Make sure all those tires are up. We, we kind of take that and we bring that into our spiritual walk too. But I just want to, I want to kind of help you brace for impact the, the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. The, the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. This is, we can clap to that. That's true. That's, it is a battleground, not a playground. And, and too many Christians today treat it as if it's a playground. Well, if I attend church enough, I get my kids in church enough, I get my student in church enough, I do all this and I just come, I come on Sunday and I get all filled up spiritually and then, and then make it through the week and then I come in limping, limping on Sunday morning. I come in and get filled up again. You're treating your Christian walk as if it's a playground, but it is a battleground. The lines have been drawn. You're on the side of light or darkness. There is no in-between. You are fighting for or against the God of the universe. Let the humility of that rest on your shoulders right now. Like the lines have been drawn. Fighting with our God or against our God. Now it says in this passage to be strong, to be strengthened in the Lord. So I want us to quickly go to Ephesians 1, verse 11. Ephesians 1, verse 11. I'm going to fly through this. But what we're going to see in this passage is how a Christian's identity rests in Christ. How a Christian's identity rests in Christ. That's what we're going to see. Verse 11 says this, in him, who's the him? That's right, Christ, Jesus. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that, that means the point, why do we do it? In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to, pray, to the praise of his glory. See, a Christian's identity rests in 
Christ and only in Christ. And in this passage, there are some certain things I want to just draw out really quickly. The word chosen. That means ultimately you didn't choose Christ. He chose you. You responded. When you gave your life to Christ, you responded to his invitation. So his, it was his choosing your following. Amen? So your identity is in a God who chose you. Also, going right down this passage, predestined. That means that God has, he, he, he knew in advance that you were going to come to salvation in Christ. That means with all of your brokenness and all of your past and all of your dysfunction, God wasn't surprised the day that you committed your life to him. He didn't look at you and say, well, I would have never thought that one would get in. Not one time. Not one time is God surprised when somebody commits their life to him. Not one time. The most fallen, wicked, dark individual, not one time is God ever surprised. Not once. Not on your day. I hope you've had that day. The day that you said yes to Jesus. He wasn't surprised on that day. It was more like, welcome home. Welcome home. Some other things you see in this passage talks about according to a plan, which means that, and listen to this, please, that means that we're not in the middle of chaos right now. That means that, that God is, 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 is governing the affairs of the world and everything is going on by his divine plan. That means even if you're in the middle of a battle right now, Christian, you need to really press into this. If you're in the middle of a battle right now and you, you, just, you don't even know what to do, you can rest in the fact that you have a God who chose you first, who predestined your salvation, and he's also got a plan for what you're enduring. And it says, for the purpose of his will. Which means that there is a day, even if it's confusing for you, even if you're in the middle of some doubts, there's a day where you're going to have that, that spiritual aha moment where things are going to make sense because there is a purpose to it all. And for you, if you're suffering... Suffering, whether it's a physical suffering, a spiritual suffering, suffering because of something that somebody's done to you or maybe uh, something that you're doing to yourself and you haven't been able to find a way out. That didn't catch God off guard. And God has a plan for that. God has a plan for that. Don't give up. And it also says... At the back end of this, having believed, you are marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And really, for us, this is the very thing that, that strengthened Jesus on, on earth. This is the very thing that will strengthen us. So when we hear that, just do it yourself, just perform, you can handle it. This is the very thing that helps us to overcome the darkness, is the Holy Spirit of God. And if you're surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God, in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, your life will look like this. You will have some love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and some goodness and <clears throat> maybe the hardest one of all, self-control. And one of the things we find out when it comes to self-control, it's actually spirit control. That's very gratifying for me. Hopefully it is for you. Also, going through this quickly, the Christian is to live life identifying with Christ. Live life identifying with Christ. 
So our, our identity is in him. To, now we're to live life identifying with Christ. And some of you, your life is, is utter confusion right now. And the reason why some of your life is utter confusion, the reason why it seems like the, like the truth of the word of God just doesn't lend to your heart or lend to your mind is because you're living in light of this reality. And 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. There's some of you that you're in spiritual blindness, spiritual darkness, because you just don't believe. And it says that they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Also, I want us to read... In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, I want us to see three things, and these are the very things that are working against every follower of Jesus to do what it is that God compels us to do. You're going to see in this text there are three things. We'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. There are three things here that that we have to identify early, that Jesus is greater than these things, but we have to identify early where we stand and what we're up against. Verse 1, it says this, As for you, you were dead. So are we talking about Christians or non-Christians? Christians. He says, As for you, you, Christians, were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. You might want to underline that. That's one. The ways of this world. The second one's coming. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. There's three. Maybe your translation says flesh. And following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even as we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and has seated us seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The last verse, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There are three things that I ask you to highlight because this these, these things are the very things that oppose every follower of Jesus. You saw the first thing I ask you to, to underline and it's the world. I'm not going to give you extensively what that is right now. We're going to talk about it in weeks to come. It's the world. There's a system of the world that opposes every Christian. The second one, it says the, the prince of the air. That's talking about Satan himself. That's the second evil force that opposes every Christian. And lastly, what was the last one? Did you, did you see it? The flesh, the sinful nature. Those three things work in conjunction but glory to God, he is, that Jesus is greater than all of those. Back to our original text, it says, in his mighty power, to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And let me tell you some things quickly about his power. Jesus Christ is stronger than Satan. John 14, 30 says this, I will, I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming, Satan himself. He has, he has no hold on me is what Jesus says. He has no hold on me because Jesus Christ is stronger than Satan. 
Jesus Christ came to destroy Satan's work. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And lastly, his power is the believer's power. His power is the believer's power. At the beginning of Ephesians, it says we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We lack nothing. So let me just ask you this question. If we have all of these things as a Christian, we have the spiritual power and Jesus says he's already won the battle. So we actually, we fight from victory, not for victory. If that's the case. And if the battles of the Christian life have already been won. So why is it that we don't live like it? Why is it that, we satisfy, that we're satisfied with just trying harder? Why is it that we just try and convince ourselves that, you know, we can handle it. It's no big deal. I've got this. I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. Why is it? Maybe for you, it's because you've been trying to rely upon your own level of morality. But that's not stronger than the enemy. Maybe for you, it's you've been trying to, you have this intellect, you have this knowledge and you just think, man, I'm, I'm superior in this area. So you've been trying to use that as leveraging that against the enemy. And yet you can't live a life like Jesus promises if that's your strength. Maybe for you, it's, you know what? I've got a name in this town and people respect my last name. Well, if you're all puffed up because how much money you have in the bank or some title you have on your door, I just want to give you the bad news. There's no strength in that. Because you can be financially rich and spiritually bankrupt. So maybe for you, maybe for you, you have some doubts. Maybe you even have doubts about things that have happened to you. What we're going to experience next is I think the song that we're going to listen to, it addresses our doubts. And I think if we listen to this song, look at the words that are on the screen, I think you're going to find the very thing that you must do in response to what you've heard. And I don't think the, that, the, that the truth is so, so obscure. I think it is right here in these lyrics. And I think that the answer is right in front of you. So sure, you have doubts. Of course. But let us, as we listen and respond to this, let us find in the grace of God a place for the doubts that we have to find the strength that he provides. Let's listen together.